And the title of the message, today we're going to be in Philippians, and we are going to linger on just four verses. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, these verses are verses 4 through 7. And as we're looking at them, I have just written in my little study uh, the freedom we have as children of God to choose his best. And what we're going to see this morning as we look in God's word to the church of Philippi is a standard that is God's best. And the Lord is saying, choose my very best. Rejoice, verse 4, in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul touches something. This is a church we have looked at it. Many people would reference the, the church of Philippi like a stellar church, a church that just was hitting close to the top of the graph of where a church could hit. But what God does as we look at this church like every church is for a moment, he gives us windows that we could look into to recognize this church also needed exhortation, encouragement, edification in many ways. And in this first verse we read, verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Notice with me how he begins this. Six times he's referred to rejoicing. And maybe we can take from this, you just think about this, that the, the church of Philippi might have struggled in their trials and tribulations with allowing the joy of the Lord to flow through them. Some translations would speak of it like this, renew your joy in the Lord. Uh, the word here of joy is chario, C-H-I-R-O, which is gladness, be glad, be cheerful. Uh, worship, be thankful. But Paul is reminding this, this church, but as we look at this verse together, notice what he also says. He says, I want you to rejoice, but remember where rejoicing is. It is in the Lord. The rejoicing is not in how everything else outside is always going. He's saying rejoice in the Lord. And then we look at the frequency that Paul addresses here. Rejoice in the Lord always. It seems like Paul's telling the church of Philippi, I don't want you to just turn off your joy. You're rejoicing. I want it to be a part of you. I want the power of the Lord to be in your life to such an extent that the joy of the Lord is radiating out on the job, in the grocery store, in the home, wherever God is taking you, and however the Lord is using you. And then Paul says something that is interesting. Six times he mentions this in the book of Philippians. The same word is used, chario. And then he says, again, I will say rejoice. Like, I, I've brought it up, but I want to remind you one more time. It's like it can flee you. It is something that can just kind of go away like a bird in the middle of, of doing activity and life and all the things we do, Paul is saying, rejoice, but don't forget to rejoice because it's really, really important. And that's why he says here, again, I say, rejoice. First Peter 1 and 8 is, and 9, Peter was writing to a, a persecuted church. And you'll see on the screen or you'll see in your Bible, and through Though you have not seen him, you love him. Rejoicing is not tied to being able to see him completely. Notice, you have not seen him, yet you love him. And through you do not see, though you do not see him now, you can't see him, but believe in him. Rejoicing is tied to believing in him. You greatly rejoice 
with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And again, joy uh, is not just some passion that just kind of pops up. It's actually something that cannot be totally expressed by words. And, and Peter addresses this here when he says, you greatly with, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now, there's a lot of things to rejoice in. We know that. But there's probably nothing that equals just Faith in the reality of the salvation of our souls. Lord, we rejoice because we have, you have found us and we have found you. You went down the alley, you went in the back place, you reached out, you found me. In a place I really wasn't even worthy to be found. And that is a story of the Christian's life. And as, and as Paul is saying this, rejoice in the Lord. Notice this again. I want it to be there all the time. And I'm going to remind you again, I will say one more time, rejoice. Verse five, it's going to tie in with this, but again, as you look at this, and we're looking this morning at this wonderful theme that we have freedom as a nation, but we also have amazing freedom in Jesus Christ to choose what is the very best. Every day, it's like if you walk in the grocery store and you're looking for some item to purchase, you're going to be looking for the item that looks the best. What is the fat content? What is the cholesterol? What is everything within that item? And God says, I will give you the very best to choose. And then I will give you the privilege to choose to rejoice. The next verse, five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord, is at hand, the Lord is near. Now, as we look at this, Paul speaks of a positive calling to God's children to get the message out. But notice how he says to do it. He says, let your gentle spirit, get it out gently. Get it out with love. Get the message out and Notice what the message was that Paul was addressing. Let your gentle spirit be known. And again, notice where it is. Get the message out everywhere, not just to your family, not just to your friends, but let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then he says, the Lord is near. This is the message. And you could break that message down into at least three different areas when we think about it. And we will see this as we look at several verses that cross-reference into this. But Zechariah 2 and 10 is a verse that speaks about this privilege, even back when Zechariah the prophet was speaking about the privilege of declaring the Lord. 2.10, sing for joy and be glad. Now we're back to the verse, let your gentle spirit be known. Sing for, the joy, for joy and be glad, but sing gently. O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Now you could probably get at least two different ways that we are declaring the Lord is near right here within this verse. The first is, he says, I am coming. Now, one of the great truths of the Christian is that we are to declare that Jesus is coming. It's a great, one of the great messages of the gospel. Jesus Christ is coming again. But there's another thing that, that Zechariah says here. He says, and I will dwell in your midst. Not only do I come to receive you as my bride, the church, but I come to dwell with you as my children. Children. I come to dwell and reign within your heart. Now as he says this, let, let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. We could probably say really in many ways this coming is at least threefold. One way is he comes and dwells in our hearts. That's one of the comings about the Lord being near. Another one would be simply as he is going to come for his church, the bride of Christ, and the church is going to be translated up into the air to meet the Lord, as 1 Thessalonians says. 
And there's another one too, and that is that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world as a King of Kings and Lord of Lords at the end of the age. He will fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham, both spiritually and naturally. He will be the king and king. He will set up his rulership in Jerusalem. The word of God says in Isaiah that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem going every way when God takes over. You know, I've thought about that rain and I thought, wow, when God takes over, most of my life I've been working through seas of legislative uh, uh, regulations in the work we were in, the chemistry. One time I had one of our guys check how many different authorities we were accountable at that time, and he got back and said, we have 106 right now. When Jesus does it, he'll do it right. He will do it perfectly right. I don't know how many times I would have had to tell men, guys, it doesn't matter whether we fully agree with the nature of that particular law. It's still what we are under and this is it. There will come a day when we are under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the perfect ruler in every way. And for 1,000 years, the Word of God teaches us many places. He will do it completely right. Those living waters will flow Jerusalem. The lion will lie down at the lamb. There will no, be no more war like we'll have, we know today in this world. God will reign in an amazing way. And I believe there's a place when we're letting the our gentle spirit to be known to all men, and we're speaking about the Lord being near. It's, it's a precious truth to let them know there's a better day coming. What we know today is not the very best. Jesus spoke of that better day so many times, but in John 14, verses one through six is one of the places he was speaking to his disciples shortly before they were, he was leaving. Their hearts were troubled. They were struggling they had left everything to follow Jesus, and now he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And here he's beginning to speak about this, what's happening in the future. And if I go... And prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I want to stop right there. Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm going, but I'm coming back. Now, as he went to prepare the place for him, when I was a young guy, I always thought that means he's going up to heaven and he's, going to, he's the perfect carpenter and he builds the perfect mansions. And I think there's a perfect lesson there. But there's another one too. He was just a few days away from going to a place called Calvary to give his life as a ransom for this entire world and prepare a way that anyone who by faith believes in him could go to be with him. When we are declaring the Lord is near, that message is so vital. Not only is, he got, not only is heaven just around the corner, but also the Lord is not far from any person that we know. The word of God, like Paul said to Mar those at Mars Hill, it is in him we live, we move, we have our being. He's right there. You can touch him by faith. It doesn't matter who you are. And this was confusing to the disciples. And you know the way, verse four, where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? He was still confused. And you remember, even after the resurrection, it was Thomas wrestling with what really happened. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, sometimes we might say, uh, how do I let people know that the Lord is near? How I understand the gentleness, but I'm not sure the words to use. You've got the words right here. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last, and Jesus says it here. But in the word of God, he, is, he says this again and again. I come to live in your heart. I come for my church as my bride, and I come again as a king. The Lord is near. And there's a place, I believe it's in the, in the book of Luke, it says, when, when you see these things begin to come to pass, and I know he was speaking at that time at the Olivet Discourse, he says, I want you to lift up your head and know your redemption draws nigh. It's never been closer 
Jesus' return has never been closer than today. The drumbeat is at the door. When we see the conflicts in countries like Iran, Iraq, when we see the struggles that are going on even within our own nation, as different special interest groups rise up in so many ways, it is pointing to one great truth, and that is the coming of Jesus is drawing nigh. Jesus is coming again. This is a declaration of the word of God from cover to cover. Everywhere you turn, Jesus Christ is coming again. I remember in 1988, we went to Israel for the first time, and our guide was talking to us about the conflicts, and it was, it was hot over in Israel at that time. And he, was a, he wasn't a Christian. And I asked him, I said, what's the answer to the conflicts? And he says, there is no answer but the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other answer. We look for it. We try to legislate it. We try to find some way to bring the answer, but there is one answer. And that's why when, as, as Paul is writing to this dear church, he's saying, I want you to let this gentleness go out to every man. The Lord is near. Here's a beautiful verse when we think about him coming back. It's just a a passage that often comes to our mind. And sometimes when it gets cloudy outside, I looked out this morning over the top of the Sonoran Mountains and there were those first clouds. And it's like, wow, will Jesus come in the clouds sometime? Revelation chapter one, verse seven says this. And we're still thinking about letting people know the Lord is near, but letting them know gently. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. The day comes when, when he comes that last time. Notice who's gonna miss him. Everyone is gonna see him because we're gonna see the unveiled Shekinah glory shining brightly, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I've wondered if the very power of God's unveiled glory will be that which will destroy all nations that rise up against him in battle. You just think that through. Second Thessalonians seems to reference that possibly, that as nations rise up in battle against the king of kings and lord of lords, it says he will destroy them with the, the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. And what does that mean? I cannot say for sure, but I know one thing. When God unveils the glory that he held back from Moses, but it was so bright when he came down from Sinai that people could not even look at him. I don't believe there's a man on the face of the earth that can ever stand and see that unveiled glory and live. But let's look at that verse again. We're, we're lingering today because these, these verses have so much impact and and they speak to us each in so many ways and challenge us even as Christians. But let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Probably there's someone in every life here that we have not taken time to let know God is near. I don't know where that's at exactly. Yesterday, I just looked at a clip and I saw a picture of one of my nephews struggling. And I think, God, what do we do? I married him and his wife. Love him deeply. But there's a place in every life here that God speaks to us and says, we need to let someone know the Lord is near. Do it with gentleness, but speak it. Speak the truth in love, in kindness, but speak the truth. Here's one more verse I want to give you before we move on to our next uh, uh, teaching this morning. 1 Peter 3 and 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You notice the first thing that Peter is writing to a church that was suffering. They were the 12 tribes scattered abroad that he wrote to. He says, sanctify Christ first in your hearts. Get Christ in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice how he says that. Speak of it, but speak gently. Speak truth, speak gently. And really what, what, what I believe uh, we see in the word of God is 
that we are handling such powerful and precious truths. Handle them in awe of God. Handle them, but handle them in reverence to God and handle them with love for other people, and, but yet handle them. Speak as God asks us to speak and go where God asks us to go. In the, fourth, in the sixth verse of this chapter, Philippians 4, 6, we, we go and stop at another verse. Be anxious for nothing. Do you notice how Paul is addressing each of these areas? Rejoicing in the Lord always, how far reaching that is, and letting your gentle spirit be known to all men. He stretches way out there. And now he lingers on another area that is easy for Christians to forget when he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He tells us here as he begins this what not to do. He says, don't be anxious. That's worry. That's fretting. That's stewing. That's struggling. That's that thing sometimes that keeps us from sleeping in the night or wakes us up early. And Paul is saying something here that he knew even the church of Philippi could be greatly blessed by. He says, I'm asking you to let that anxiousness go. We'll, we'll look at this in some other verses. But notice he says, but in everything, he says, what not to do there, be anxious for nothing. But here's what he says to do. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he's saying, go to God with the request. Be anxious for nothing, go to God. Be anxious, don't go off here, don't get diverted, go right back to God. And so he says, don't be anxious for anything, but go to God. Give it to God. And as we look at that, we will see that that is an amazing challenge that all of us face. And, and he knew the church of Philippi was there too. I don't know why, maybe they were just anxious because they wanted to know if this dear beloved apostle would ever get out of prison. They might have said, this is a guy that brought us the gospel. Probably there are some sisters and brothers in that church that didn't sleep at night just because of Paul. But Philippi suffered, and so there was a lot of suffering. There was probably the thing, I wonder who's coming to our door. I wonder when the knock will be on our door. I wonder when we'll, we will go out in the field and someone will intersect with us and ask us if we're a Christian. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. He says, nothing. It's, uh, it, it has a far, it's a, it's, a, it's a wide brush that Paul gives here. Jesus gave this many times, but in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, he calls it here worry in NASB. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or with what will we wear for clothing? And here we have three dynamics that often can affect us. How's my job going to work out? Do I, am I going to get a job? What's going to happen after I get out of college? What's going to happen because of how the economy is turning? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but God's already got it, is what Jesus says. I've already got this. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's saying God's got it. Don't try to be God. God already has it. But he, but he says something here when we're looking at this when he said as, that is also what to do. We've been looking at what not to do. He addresses it here. Don't worry about anything. We say that's kind of trivial. It doesn't say don't plan. It doesn't say don't get up tomorrow and do the best we can to the best job we have on the job. It doesn't say don't. He says don't worry about tomorrow because I have it. You will never get it right anyway. Your best shot of tomorrow is going to miss what God's shot is. Matter of fact, I remember years ago when I was, I was young, I took the Dale Carnegie course, and one of the things that came out of that course that struck me was in worry that this was just a, an, an international standard they drew that of everything you worry about, less than one-tenth, 10% ever comes to be true. So what we're doing is borrowing tomorrow's problems today and trying to decide what to do about tomorrow when we don't even know what's gonna happen. 
But there's another part of it that's interesting. We saw it in Philippians 6. We see it in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see what he says? Go first to God. Sometimes what happens in worry is we start moving sideways and we start moving horizontally and we get our eyes off of the vertical of God. You know, there was a group of young men when I was converted in California that we had a lot of Bible studies with. And I remember one day just blurting out about 21 years old, do any of you here have a, a theme verse? And there's this one guy, Steve, and he just said, yeah, God just gave me a verse several years ago. It's Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be had. I remember thinking, wow, how did he ever get that so quick? But all of a sudden, as I kept looking at that, I realized, wow, this is amazing. This is, you go to God first, he takes care of it. You seek him first, he does it. Many, many times, it's just a simple step back and say, God, where are you in the equation? And I want you to be there. You know, there's a lot of things, though, that come up. Just, uh, you know, even the inventions of today. Just think of something as nice as uh, we get new cars and new houses and old houses and old cars, and they have to keep going. And, and probably the best vehicle I've ever had, I'm driving right now as far as enjoying it. And it's a little Honda Ridgeline truck, two years old. But you know what starts happening? The warranty runs out, so every single day I'm getting calls for more extended warranties, and I don't want a warranty. And here you have all of these things that keep banging in the door. Another thing, you've got to get in here because there's one item we need to fix in the fuel pump. When are you coming? When are you coming? Hold it. I just want to go to work. I'll, I'll get there in time. But there's so many things. Uh, there's the financial part. Very real. Jesus addresses it here when he says, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we be clothed? So verse 34, he summarizes in Matthew 6 what he's been saying. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day, this is an interesting way that this translation gives it, each day has enough trouble of its own. It's saying don't add to that because it is so amazing what happens from that time on. There's family worries. We understand that every family here probably has different areas that you just, you've got that, you've got that one area of struggle. You might have two or three. They're just real. They come to us. There's church worries. Then I, then I think about this sometimes. The greatest in, inventions that we have as mankind has oftentimes a correspondingly downside balance. Let's take Facebook. That's just a simple one. Two nights ago, a sister sends me an email at 10 o'clock at night. And she says, your Facebook got hacked. And someone got on there and said that you just quit your job at CCS. And, and uh, you're no longer there. And I go, wow, that's interesting that other people know before me. <laughs> but what it, what it is is you have viruses coming. You have hacking going on. You have things happening all over. And here we are so blessed. I'm up here this morning reading off of my iPad and just little notes. And yet we're so blessed. But on the corresponding side of this, we have a downside. And the Lord says, keep coming back to me. And that's what he says in, there, here in, in both Matthew and he says it also in Philippians. Maybe for some of you moms here, I read this this week. It kind of caught me and stayed with me, but... One mom came, uh, was uh, jarred at her house because the delivery guy came up to the door and he had a brand new couch for her. And he says, you, this is your couch you just ordered. And she says, I didn't order the couch. And they looked back at the receipt and it came right off of her telephone. And then she realized her little child had been playing with that phone. <laughs> and she looked at how simple it was to push that phone at a certain time and she got a couch. <laughs> Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7 has a beautiful verse regarding worry. Casting all your anxiety on him, Jesus, because he cares for you. Don't know how many fishermen are here this morning, how many fishermen we have, women, 
fishermen or women, how many do we have in this congregation that like to fish? We got several. You know, I was never that good. Someone, one of you brothers asked this morning, was you a good fisherman? No, I never really was. Say, matter of fact, one time we were out in the Snake River and I was with one of my business partners and every time he dropped it in, he pulled up a steelhead salmon and every time I did, it didn't work. I just tried to match his bait and never worked. But when I read this verse about casting all your anxiety upon him, I always get that picture of the fisherman just taking the reel and saying, God, it's gonna go to you. I'm gonna drop it out of sight. Because when that bait goes out, it goes to a place you cannot see. You can no longer even visualize. You can't see the fish. You can't see the bait. And you let it go. Now, you could hang on to that line, and you could hang on. And this is what happens in worry. We still hang on. We might even cast, but we never let go. We just keep casting so the line never goes to where it needs to go. We just hold back. And when... And when Peter here is speaking of casting all of your anxiety, notice how, how far it is here again, just releasing all of the care completely to Jesus. And I love this, at the end of this verse, he says, do it because he loves you. Do it because he wants to bear the burden. Do it because he wants to carry the load. He wants to give, hit the target that you so desperately need. Do it. Notice what happens there, the result of being, we spoke of what not to do, what to do. But there's one other part to this we'll find in verse 7. What happens when we do trust him? We see what happens when we don't, and we see what he says to do, to, to give it all to God. Seek first the kingdom of God in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. But notice the result in verse 7. And the peace of God, in, in Philippians 7, which surpasseth all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace comes. God's grace fills. You notice something, it doesn't say everything goes away. It just says God's peace comes. His grace fills. We receive strength that we did not have we receive grace that we knew nothing of. But he says, you've got to let it all go. Casting, Peter says, casting all of your eggs in. Now, there was a persecuted group of people, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Peter's saying, cast every bit of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. On Jesus because Jesus cares. Many years ago, I don't know how many Northwesterners we have here, but we had done some work uh, with a very, very low toxic herbicide right around the town of Snoqualmie, Washington. And Snoqualmie is just out of Seattle up Interstate 90. It really is getting pretty. You're coming right into the Cascades. And this is where the Weyerhaeuser Tree Company had many tree farms and, and we had contracts with them. And what happened is we had one dear woman that saw the what happened as these evasive species were treated and she became very concerned. So she called the tree farm. They called me. We went out to see her. And when we got out there, we began to take a tour of the community to see where she was concerned and to address her concerns as they were there. And she had parked her, her car on this little hill, but we were in the forest. We, a Snoqualmie is just going out of Seattle. You're now about 2,000 feet and we were in the forest off the main roads. And I turned and I said, ma'am, your car is beginning to roll. And her car started going down the hill. And she took off running. She was probably a 70-year-old woman. And she grabbed the handle of that car. And I ran down beside her. And the car was going faster and faster. And there was a steep crevasse on one side. And I finally yelled, ma'am, you've got to let go or you're going to go over the cliff. And I couldn't decide. This happened within five seconds. Do I grab her and try to pull her off her car? Or do I let her go? She let go. And the car went tumbling down the cliff. And oddly enough, it still landed in all fours down there about 30 feet below. And she just stood there and she was just stunned. And we sat down on this log together. And I asked her, I said, uh, 
after maybe 10 minutes, would you like to go back now and listen, we'll go look back at these species that you're concerned about and how it could have affected the environment. And she said, I'm, I'm all done. I don't care about that anymore because that was a whole lot more important. You know, it's, it's, it's a rough illustration of a truth that is so true, and that is that when the Lord speaks about casting everything upon him, he's saying, if you keep on hanging on, you're going to go down. If you can let go by faith and give it to me, I will even adjust all the priorities that are out there, and I will, do the, I will prepare the way. It wasn't very long, and a tow truck was out here, and her car was hardly damaged. But I look back at her, she would have went down the hill she wouldn't have looked like the car. That's just the real aspect of this. But when we're looking at this area that is maybe one of the more, can I say this uh, in a way that we maybe God could speak to all of us, it may be one of the more tolerated sins in the Christian church. Because what we're doing is we are attempting to be God. And God is God. And we can't stop and change it. And so we've got to let go. And then God takes care of it. He does it in the most amazing ways. And you've seen it. And I believe if I would just stop and say, we're done, but we're going to take an extra hour. You can walk up here. I believe many of you would give testimony after testimony of where God has so amazingly worked when you finally just simply said, God, you are Lord. I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to commit everything to you by prayer and supplication. I'm going to let you take it. And you could give testimony after testimony, just like myself, that God does amazing things when we let him. What he's really saying is, let me lead. Let me, you know, this is uh, just real to me. Uh, I share it with you as uh, one of your pastors. But you know the voice that God speaks to me? A sister wrote to me, I believe it was on uh, Saturday night, and she says, I don't know why I'm just writing to you because I think you're carrying a burden right now. You know what God was saying, selling, telling me? Let me lead this church. You just follow. I'll lead. I will lead. All I ask you to do is follow. You've got to let go. And it's true for everyone here, too. In every place that we've been looking, we've looked at these different areas. I want to read this again, then look at a couple more verses and wrap up the message. But notice this again with me, just because it's so, it's so, so amazing what Paul is saying and how it flows. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he's saying, remember, whatever we're worrying about today, it's God's. Let's give it back to God. And this is what will happen in verse 7. Here comes that tremendous blessing. It comes in so many ways. It, it comes in peace in our hearts. It, it brings peace to others. It blesses other people. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, when you do this, when you do this, you will be so blessed and God will do such amazing things when we let him do what he does so perfectly. A beautiful verse in Psalms 119, 165. I believe uh, King James says it like this, great peace have they who love your law and nothing will offend them. NASB says, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Could I bring us back to another truth? It's a great worry fighter. Oftentimes when we get away from, get, get off over here on the side and worry, God will come back and say, just come back to my word. Come back to the truth of my word and let me lead. And here comes that great peace that nothing offends. God just works in an amazing way and does amazing things. Here's another one. 
uh, in Isaiah 26 and 3. And this is the, the result of just this total surrender to God. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. She trusts in you. They trust in you. God brings a perfect peace. Yesterday afternoon, right before we came to church, I just walked by Debbie's desk, and she had been there for hours. And I wondered, what was Debbie doing? And she was writing her last card, and the last verse she was putting in that card was this one right here. God will keep you in perfect peace when your heart is stayed on him because he trusts in you. They, she trusts in you. The peace of God flows and comes in amazing ways. And I love this. The peace of God flooding our soul. It guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It just pours out. I don't know if any of you live in any areas. I know it's just down here south in Waddell. They still irrigate with these little irrigation. And they just open up the water and it just spreads out in those, in those areas and totally covers the area. And that's what peace is intended to do is to cover and bless and maybe for the summertime, and also to cool and to strengthen and to nourish. And this is what the peace of God does when God rules in our heart through the Holy Ghost. Years ago, we used to go up into the Sierra Nevadas and, and backpack up there. We, I don't know, some of you may have been up there. We, the area I lived was in Modesto, California, and we take teams of young men, about 10 per team, and, and about three from our church every year, about 30 young men in 10 teams for four days. And we'd go into a place called the Immigrant Wilderness, and we'd go up to one lake that was called Lewis Lake. You went right out of Kennedy Meadow, and you went up and you caught all these switchbacks. But the hardest part of the trail was the last half mile to one mile in because it was a 45-degree angle. And it would take young men, and they would give it everything they got and it was grueling for an older guy. I was a younger guy then, but it was still quite a, quite a trip. Everything was on our back, all of our food, everything we needed for four nights. One thing we did, a little secret, if you ever want a secret, and you were taking guys that never camped outside, is we just put two pounds of Denny Moore beef stew in every guy's pack. Because we said they can't make a mistake with that. They can't burn their food. They can't do something. And they're going to be able to have Denny Moore beef stew and they can make it. But probably the greatest memory I ever had in hiking about 10 years with those guys was one year, the last, one of the last years, a guy that worked, has worked for me for over 15 years until I sold the company after that. He, was, he loved the Lord, but he was a very, very uh, weaker guy. He just wasn't an athlete. But he chose to go on the trip and we put, we put less in his pack, but he took off. And he barely made it through all the switchbacks. But when he got up to the last shot going up, it's called a sheep's camp. And you go over the top of the hill. You come to Lewis Lakes at 9,200 feet. All of a sudden, I, I, I realized he's not going to make it. There's no way he's going to make it. I never heard him complain. He just kept going back further. And I watched something that blessed me so much with those young men. Many of them are pastors today. Many have went on. Someone walked back with him and hardly said a word. They just reached back in the pack and got something and put it in their pack. And they kept going. And I started realizing he's not going to make it. And all of a sudden I see another young guy. Didn't say. These guys were from 14 to 18 years old. Didn't say a word, just walk back there and someone else reach in that pack and grab something and put it in their pack. Probably an hour later, he went over the top of that hill. And that whole group just shouted and clapped and not one person made fun. Not one person said anything negative. And you know what? He had climbed the mountain and made it but someone else was there. Someone else was making the difference. And I want to give you this too, because this is more important often than we think. Sometimes God puts brothers and sisters in our lives so that someone can reach out and just lighten the load for somebody else. 
It doesn't have to be a big thing. I would guess that day almost every young man had reached into that pack to give him the strength to make it to the top. I don't know that anyone was, anything was ever said about that. He's probably one of my closest connections to this day. He still works for the company. He was the office manager for many years. But someone was there who was willing to help. And I give you that as a church because we've been speaking about looking to the Lord, but sometimes you're looking to the Lord and you may see a care in a brother or sister's life. Step over there and do what you can. Maybe just give them a prayer. Maybe just a good word of encouragement. Just help them take another step toward the top. And what's happening is you put that load back here, and I don't think that pack will be any heavier because you've already given it to God because that's what's given you the power to go over there and offer to do that. And God does amazing things. Amazing things when we give it to him. I don't know where you are this morning in your Christian lives, and but I do know this, that probably every person here comes in with a little heavier load than we needed to carry. And whatever that is, and whatever that means, uh, it can be surrendered to the Lord today, right here. It could just be given to the Lord and said, God, you're, you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. I just want to give this to you because you are the Lord and I'm your child. And as you do that, God might just let you see somebody else over here. Maybe I'll just pray for them. I'll just have a good word for them. This is what the church is intended to be. A place where brothers and sisters unite in such a way that we bear each other's burdens like Paul wrote to Galatians, and even there we fulfill the law of Christ. We just reach out some way through the power of the Spirit of God and have you ever noticed this? Uh, my mother is a wonderful servant. She's 86 today, but one of the things mom taught me is in the greatest times of her own personal testing, I saw God work the most mightily in her life as she cared for somebody else. God did something amazing. And she's still doing it today by God's grace. And I just ask each of you to think about ways that we can just lighten the load and be released, but then we can also be a blessing to other people. That God's name will be lifted up and this church will keep growing. But more than anything else, that this church will just see Jesus as a great burden bearer, the one who lightens every load, the one who we can seek first, knowing that everything happens through him, and that when prayers and supplications with thanksgiving are made to him, God does amazing things. There's one more, one more area I want to mention this morning before we go to prayer. Only God knows this, but I believe there's someone in this church this morning that has been carrying a load that is so heavy and so hard that you can't carry it. Because the word of God says that our sins are so heavy and they weight us down so deeply and so fully. But I want to tell you that through Jesus Christ, who said he's the way and the truth and the life that we read about, you can let it go today and you can give it completely to Jesus. It's not just like a diet. It's like you are a different person. You walk with different strength. God does amazing things. But if that's you, if God speak, has spoken to you, today is the day to just simply say, God, I can't carry that any further, and I don't want to carry it any further. I want to give it all to you, every bit. I want to lay it completely upon you. Every care, all the sin, all the secrets, all the hidden things, you take them, God because you care for me, and I want to go 
and be your child, and I confess you as the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, and you know who you are, there was a man last night that said, that's me sitting back there. He came up here and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. If that's you, today's the day to totally release that load, totally, and let God carry it and take you where he wants you to go and lead you the place he wants you to go and to be the person he wants you to be. Think about this and pray about this as our worship team comes up and they're singing their last song. And then, if it's you, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. You can do it here. You can do it in your seat. Grab a brother or sister and say, I want to confess right here. And let God lift the load and lighten the burden and pave the way to walk with him. Lord Jesus, what an amazing God you are. You are the burden bearer. You are the shepherd of the sheep. You are the great high priest, Lord. You are the one to whom we can come and cast every care, knowing that you care for us. God, we want to surrender our anxiousness to you today. We ask you to take the loads that we have carried that, are, that you have convicted us with even during this time we've been in worship, Lord, and we, we want to give them to you because you care for us, Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that for the one person that's here who is carrying a load that just gets heavier and heavier, that's hanging on to something so great that they'll go over the cliff if they don't let go. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today can be the day of salvation and you can speak in their heart and they can surrender to you and you can come in and walk with them and bless them and save them through your own precious blood so they can walk out on your strength and not their own looking to you as the answer instead of themselves. Lord, have your way, have your way in every life, in every heart. In Christ's name we pray, amen.